Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. FYI, I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. It is 9.53 p.m. I'd like to apologize to my listeners out there. I had to restart the show. So come on back out here and join me. Universities and college turn past Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about that. I had to restart the show. I don't know, some little glitch or something. I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah, here we are. It is Thursday evening at 9.54 p.m. It is the 25th of August. And, um, yeah, you know, kind of just dawned on me that this is the last weekend of August. So hard to believe that next weekend is the Labor Day weekend. And it just seemed like yesterday that we just started summer and it was the the May 2-4 weekend and kicking off all the summer um, festivities. And that, so, well, here we are, you know, school starting, you know, in another week across Ontario and across Canada. Whether you're in elementary, high school, university, or college. And, um, you know, university students moving back here to the city. um, Also, college students um, moving back in, whether you're going to be living in the dorms. Uh, whether you be living off campus, um, <clears throat> this is what's you know happening, and um, Western University here in the city of London, and Fanshawe here in the city of London, deviate on the return to school COVID nineteen policies. You know, as of right now, um, here in the province of Ontario. Um, we do not have um, really any restrictions. We do have s- some, of course, that, you know, like for hospitals and nursing homes, or retirement homes, um, medical buildings, and that, that you are required to wear a mask, plain and simple. Any other? Well, it's up to you you want to do you don't want to wear a mask if you're going to the shopping mall um whatever the case may be and also you know i should mention two fast food restaurants um not all of them but some of them have their employees still wearing a mask has nothing to do with the government because all of those mandates 
have been lifted and has been left up to the organizations and, and other businesses, how they operate, what they want their employees to do. Now, what the class is starting in another week, the university is making it clear that COVID-19 policies will still be in effect this coming fall semester in order to, facil to facilitate in-person learning. So what's gonna happen with the university for the coming this fall, 2022, COVID-19 policies will include requiring students, staff, and, and faculty to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and to have received at least one booster dose and to be masked inside the instructional spaces. And now we'll just be we, welcoming students to campus from across the country and around the world. Right? So, like I say again, this has nothing to do with the Ontario government. This is the university's COVID-19 policies. So, <clears throat> in addition to students, staff, and faculty having at least three doses of the Health Canada-approved vaccine, People must also submit proof of vaccination to the Western University by October the 1st. Now, last year when they, when they were still having, you know, they had, uh, were able to get back to having most classes and you were going to be in the facilities at, at Western, you had to be vaccinated. Coming this semester, starting in another week, that has not changed. And also, when it comes to um, the students living in residence, they will need to get their boosters before moving in. And the university will offer a two-week grace period an on-campus vaccination clinic for those who cannot meet the deadline. And for the international students, you will need to follow the federal, the federal vaccination guidelines in order to enter Canada. So beginning September the 1st, medical grade masks must be worn while indoors, inside instructional spaces such as classrooms, labs, and seminar rooms, but people who are presenting, performing, facilitating, or speaking to a group may remove their mask. And the university releases the need for masking beyond the Thanksgiving weekend with the goal to lift the mask mandate as soon as possible. Right? So we'll have to see what happens. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Doug from Ontario, Canada. Um, I did like a few minutes ago, um, I think it was like 10 minutes to 10, starting the show, and then some sort of glitch, you know, 
knocked the show out. So I don't know. So I restarted it. So thanks for joining me. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I started out by saying that, you know, uh, this is like the last weekend of August. You know, it just kind of dawned on me because August, you know, just seemed to like go really slow. And it's like, you know, we're not done with summer. That's for sure. It's just the last weekend of August. And next weekend is the Labor Day weekend. And I was saying it just seemed like we just had the 2-4 weekend. You know, the start of summer and summer vacation and and, um, and things like that. So, you know, in another week, all students across Ontario and all students across Canada um, go back to school. You know, elementary, high school, college, university. Now, what is going on here in at the university in the city that I reside in, they are going to have their COVID-19 vaccination policy and their mask mandates. And as I said earlier, this has nothing to do with the Ontario government. Because the Ontario government lifted all mask mandates and it was given the employers a choice. It was given you the choice, whether you still want to wear a mask, whether you went to the shopping mall, you gathered with family and friends, you went to the local bars, hospitals, nursing homes, retirement homes, other medical buildings require you to wear a mask. Some restaurants require their employees to wear a mask. Um, but other than that, you know, we don't have um, any mandates or you know, any restrictions by the government of Ontario. Now, the University of Western Ontario here in the city where I reside is making it very clear to their students returning that the COVID-19 policies will still be in effect coming this fall semester. And that means wearing a mask and be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and have received at least one booster dose as well. And that's for, <clears throat> that's for everybody, all the students, all the staff, right? And of course, in addition to students, staff and the faculty having at least three doses of the Health Canada approved vaccine, people must also submit proof of that vaccine to Western University by October the 1st. 
And of course, there's going to be a couple weeks grace period, and they're going to have a clinic on site for those who can't meet that deadline. Now, now, now last year, um, students that um, who were able to do um, in-class learning at the university, um, everybody had to be vaccinated, and that, and that has not changed. So, and then, uh, and then when we go to the college here in the city, so Western uh, will be full steam ahead with welcoming students back to campus in adherence with the COVID-19 protocols. Fanshawe College is going a very different way. And what they're going to be doing, they will not be implementing man, man, uh, mandatory masks or vaccine policies this fall and even citing advice even citing the, the advice from the Middlesex London Health Unit now what they're saying is to the students for college is saying that they are strongly encouraged to mask indoors and stay up to date on recommended doses of the COVID-19 vaccine and that's about it. And they're going to be operating about 65% of classes for in-class. Provided in-person and residents are also, or uh, you know, the residencies are going to be close to capacity as well. And, and all these scheduled events for students and staff this fall will go ahead as planned. So a very different take on COVID-19 protocols between university and college. But they said that um, they're not going to rule out any recommendations from the regional public health authorities, which may include the reintroduction of some COVID-19 protocols during the academic year as they become necessary. And the Fanshawe College will have its its own on-campus COVID-19 vaccination clinic for students in, in the faculty. So two different paths that the, these two uh, institutions are taking. Um, I guess, you know, um, I was reading a little bit of an article, the students are like saying like, you know, school, you know, um, like this was last week. So school is only a couple of weeks away. And so why now is the university coming out with these protocols? The protocols have always been there. This is a reminder to the students that the, the, the uh, COVID-19 policies are still in effect. They haven't gone anywhere. Um, I guess, you know, for the first month and a bit, first six, first six weeks, I guess we'll see how things go. 
You know, I mean, winter is still a long ways off. You know, we still have plenty of, of, of nice weather um, here in southern Ontario. Um, so, just do, just, you know, people, people just, like right now, I mean, we don't really, the, the, the Ontario government doesn't have any mandates or restrictions at all. They have been lifted. It's up to you as individuals, whether you're out and about running your errands, whether you're going to the grocery store, the, the shopping mall, or whatever the case may be. If you want to wear a mask, that's entirely up to you. And I see people doing it and people not doing it. And that's fine. So when I like into they talk about for the international students, um, they have to follow the protocols uh, of the federal government to enter the country, and that will require them to go on the government site on the Canada arrive and submit all of their of their information and of course their vaccine status and that's it and then be able to come to canada if you are fully vaccinated for all the international students and believe me there are plenty of them Now, I wanted to touch base on, on this one um, here, too, because um, this is like really, this, this, this article here is really disturbing. And um, I wanted to touch base on it because it has to do with racism. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Doug from Ontario, Canada. This has to do with racism. Now, so the liberal, the the, the liberal government of Canada has, has cut the funding and suspends the anti-race the anti-racism groups project after some tweets and I guess this individual um, who was part of this anti-racism group I mean I don't even know how this individual became a member of this group um, because of his antics um, in the past I guess I guess people I guess some people don't do their homework Now, after this member of this anti-racism group made um, anti-Semitic remarks 
on social media. Anti-Semitism has no place in Canada. It has no place around the world. How this individual, like I said, was a part of this anti-racism group, I have no idea. You know, they received a lot of money um, from the government to something like $133,000 from the federal government. Now, the account is is private. But a, a screenshot of the of the post showed a number of tweets with this photo and name. So I guess you know anybody I guess is part of this private account or this you know was if you know someone leaked this out you know now I'm going to tell you what it said and. It's probably going to anger you. It's disturbing. It's just uncalled for. It's just unbelievable what this person said. So, this is what this individual said. You know all of those loud mouth bags of human feces a.k.a. the Jewish white supremacists. When we liberate Palestine and they have to go back to where they came came from, they will, they will return to being low-voiced bitches of their Christian secular white supremacist masters. And this person is supposed to be an anti-racist. It's unbelievable what this individual said. So now all of this funding for this anti-racism group has been Suspended. Now, how they became to hire this individual and how it plans to rectify the damage caused by his anti Semitic statements. I don't know how you can rectify that kind of damage. I, I really don't know how you can. You know, it's just like um, individuals or, you know, like some individuals of that um, trucker convoy over the winter time. Some of them are involved in groups um, who are racist. And there was, uh, 
an incident oh probably a couple years ago um, with an individual who was part of that trucker convoy not a trucker but part of it um, him and his buddies decide to show up at a anti-hate rally and they physically assaulted those individual individuals you know but it's but it's okay for for these people who are you know the, these 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 racist groups white supremacists it's okay for them to act the way they do but when you have somebody who is against it and they hold a rally and you show up and you show aggression no it's not okay How this group is going to be able to, you know, continue because they that that group has been demolished. You know, I mean, if people want to get together and people want to have that anti-racism or anti-hate or whatever the case may be. I mean, how much of a background check do you have to do on somebody to make sure that say, hey, you know what? We are an anti-racism group and you cannot be racist. Or we're part of an anti-hate group and, and you can't hate. Right? Because these groups are here to hopefully, you know, get the message out there and hopefully stamp out racism and hate they have the right as as much as anybody to go out there and 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 have their rallies or have their protests against hate and racism there's no place for it i mean we're you know what are we in the 21st century and this is still going on, it is getting worse. You know, you, you, you have you have you know Black Life Matters. You know, then I, I don't know. I don't know people, you know I mean you, you can even look at the shootings in the United States, all the school shootings. And and what is that about? Is it about racism? Is it about hate? You know, look at that guy that drove hundreds of miles. I think it was in Georgia where this guy drove a hundred of hundreds of miles just to shoot black people. terrible you know his lawyer his, his lawyer says this individual is not anti-semitic 
Well, then what the hell is he? I just told you what he said. It's unbelievable, you know. It's, I, I I don't know how you rectify that. I mean, the damage. I mean, the damage is done. And for this individual, I mean, he's done. I mean, you make remarks like that, and you and, and you're supposed to be anti-Semitic or you're not supposed to be you're not supposed to be that and here he is making these remarks that I just read to you you know that's racism you can almost say that's racism at its finest when people talk like that I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what we're going to do about it, but, you know. Homophobics. And anything else like that, I mean, I think it's time for people just to grow the hell up. Now, the other thing that's happening here, um, here in Ontario, you know, everybody, you know, who, who lives outside of Canada, you know, they look at Canada as, you know, all oh, you guys got great health care. All oh, you guys got free health care. Well, it's not great and it's not free. And by saying it's not free, we pay taxes. We pay, uh, we pay a lot of taxes. And it helps fund our health care. Now, we've had problems in the past with the health care. But COVID-19, you know, has basically showing us how bad the health care is getting or is in the province of Ontario and not just here in Ontario but across Canada. Premiers across All 10 provinces in, in, in the three territories they don't know how to fix it we've had cuts to our to our health care system over the decades and from every health minister and everything in, in every province with cutbacks.
has made things worse over the decades. And of course, COVID-19 hasn't been any help. Now, one of the governments of Ontario's suggestions is that the government wants to fund the private health care and over in order to offset the problems that we're having. So by doing that, people, you know, so they'll be giving the, uh, the private healthcare money, but people will be able to go to those services and use those services. I can't understand why they do that. If you have this money, then you pump it back into our healthcare system and not give it to the private sector. You know, Canada's public healthcare system, it's not to enrich corporations that are charging governments a premium to gain profits. This is coming from the NDP leader of the federal government. And it's becoming very clear now that we are in a very serious crisis. And it's not good enough for premiers to start talking about creative solutions when their solution is to when their solution is to privatize our healthcare system. The health minister is like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not doing that. You know, no, no, people, people will still be able to use their health card. People will still be able to access the health care system. People won't have to have a copay. People won't have to pay. But the Ontario government wants to give our hard-earned tax dollars to these private corporations. And thinking that, you know, you know, that's just like putting a band-aid on a cut that needs stitches. You think you're going to stop the bleeding. Well, it's not going to stop the bleeding. And the federal government, with their transfer payments, to the provinces needs to be sped up and it needs to be more. If, if the Ontario government thinking that this is, you know, looking at a quick fix, this is not the way to go about it. And the way to go about it is to get those transfer payments as quickly as possible and funnel that money into our healthcare. You know, over the summer months, you know, in, in, in rural, in rural Ontario, in, in small towns, they're closing their emergency rooms 
at different times. You know, emergencies don't have a time. Emergencies happen when they happen. Shortage of staff is, is really the main reasons why these small town rural hospitals who close their emergency departments because they don't have the staff to operate them. Who's been on the front lines throughout this entire pandemic? Our healthcare professionals, our nurses, our doctors. Working tireless hours. Working with short staff. Working overtime. And, and, and it's like, it's like there's no relief. And, and, and we look at our doctors and nurses and, and, you know, people would expect them to be there for us when we need help. They're people too. They get burnt out just like the rest of us do. They get anxiety just like the rest of us do. They get sick just like the rest of us do. And when we don't have the medical staff and, 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 and small town emergency rooms cutting their, their services is not good. You know, the average wait for someone, for, for, for someone to walk into the emergency department, even here in the city of London where I reside, walk into that emergency, emergency department. Your expected wait time is 12 plus hours. And if you're not dying, and if you're not spewing blood everywhere, you haven't cut your arms off, you don't have a broken arm or a broken leg, you're going to wait. Because people with real emergencies they're going to be taken care of first. We have walk-in clinics where people through the daytime hours can see a doctor if you don't have a family doctor. If you have sprained your ankle and you can still move it around, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's probably not broken. 
you can still walk on it, it's probably not broken. If you have the sniffles or a little bit of cough, why are you going to the emergency department? The doctor at the walk-in clinic is well-trained and can give you an examination Can write prescriptions, even give you a tension band to wrap your foot or to, to, to wrap your wrist. Send you on your way. You don't need to go to the emergency department. You don't need to go to the emergency department. They'll be able to tell you if your ankle is broken. I mean, you would know if your ankle is broken. If your foot isn't turned sideways, likely not broken. Our doctors and nurses are under a tremendous amount of strain and pressure. The burnout rate, the anxiety rate, the stress rate of our doctors and nurses is off the charts. Now, like I said about, um, <clears throat> Like talking about the uh, has led to the multiple emergency department closures over the last two months, and what frontline and what frontline workers describe as a mass exodus of healthcare workers, notably nurses, due to the heavy workloads, burnout, and and you know concerns, you know, about the 1% wage cap on health workers imposing by the Doug Ford governments is controversial bill 124. And part of its plan, the Ford government said it plans to increase publicly covered surgeries at private clinics. And he thinks this is a bold initiative when looking for ways to improve the healthcare system. But you're giving our hard earned tax dollars to these private clinics. That's my money. And everybody else's money in this province of Ontario. You know, so, I mean, he traveled to uh, the Premier of Ontario. He travels to uh, New Brunswick um, for a meeting with uh, with three other uh, conservative uh, maritime premiers. 
And they, after this meeting, you know, the four uh, provincial leaders stressed that the need for healthcare delivery to fundamentally change in Canada. Well, not by giving money to these private clinics. That is absurd. Now, this uh, the leader of the ND, ND, NDP party of the federal government, he sees this um, as, as Premier Ford is traveling the country selling the idea of increased private, 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 privatization of the healthcare. So, so, well, of these private clinics, we're, we're going to make those people rich. Is that going to mean better care for most Canadians? Is that going to mean that people are going to get that type of care that we want? The highest quality care? And not have to worry about how much they, uh, on how much they make? No, you know, we have um, people who worked in, in, in the medical fields in other parts of the world. And they immigrate to Canada. And, you know, for instance, a nurse, you know, comes from another country. They can't practice here until they meet the criteria of Canada. And that could take another three years. So we have a lot of people who come here who do work in the medical fields or healthcare professionals. And what we need to do for them is that they should be able to work in the healthcare and still get that on hands training whether whether they're still upgrading their license to work as a nurse to start filling the void of the nurses and doctors that we already have. So, and not mainly, you know, not mainly fast tracking their acceleration to allow them to work in Canada hospitals and clinics, 
but you know, I mean, this is this is really one really great idea that would work. And not funding these private clinics. Now, this one minister said the other day that Ottawa already initiated a process to, to, uh, prioritize healthcare worker immigration applications at the onset of the pandemic. You know, and, you know, he also took a look at the, the issues with the, um, the NDP's characterizations of the immigration and the accreditation of foreign trained healthcare workers as an easy solution to Canada's health human resources problems, calling it too simplistic. Well, it's right there in front of their face. It's part of a solution. And a very simple solution it's not a quick fix it's not a quick fix like giving our money away to 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 private clinics and that money that they want to give to private clinics they could be giving it to the healthcare system in order to help get these people up to the standards and certified to work in our hospitals and other clinics. That just makes a lot of sense. But we do need that money transfer from the federal government to the provinces in order to do this. You know, another thing that that is happening um, as as well here. Um, here in Ontario, especially, um, when it comes to patients, um, in the hospitals, um, mainly like the, um, elderly individuals, um, who have been having a long stay in the hospital where they could be moved to another care facility to free up beds.
Now, it could be people, you know, who who maybe has starting the onset of dementia. And they're going to need further care. But here, but here's the thing. It means that if, if they move them to another healthcare facility, and it might not be um, the first choice um, care facility that they have chosen, you know, because you know they want to um, free up these beds. And it could mean moving these patients a great distance. You know, if their first choice um, care facility doesn't have a bed readily or a room readily for them, and another care facility, you know, hundred miles away they could be potentially sent there against their wishes and against the family wishes they're even saying that the hospitals and, and you know and, and when the doctors you know makes makes these decisions and the patient refuses they could be billed for their stay in the hospital and that could mount, that could mount up to $1500 a day or more I understand people need extra care. I get that. They're not able to, you know, go home from the hospital that, you know, they're going to need a nursing home. Nursing homes are full as it is. I don't know if it's the best, best place to be. I really don't know nursing homes kind of care they're going to get in the nursing home you know other people may you know like family members you know may take their father and mother home to their house And here's another thing that the government could be doing is paying the caregiver. And if they need this ex if they need this extra care, instead of, you know, okay, look, you know, we don't have that nursing home, you know, your first pick. They don't have any rooms available. But this hospital two hundred or this nursing home two hundred miles away 
has a room for you. You have to take that one. Even if it's against even if it is against your wishes, you would have to take that one. Or you could potentially be billed for your stay of over $1,500 a day. That's absurd. Absolutely absurd. Yes, people need a bed when they, when they go to the hospital. They got to get admitted. You know, maybe the hospital have to move things around. I don't know. In order for you to get a bed. I mean, these people, these people aren't in palliative care, you know, that they would be moving because those people there, people in palliative care, you know, would rather go home and pass away at home than pass away in a hospital. These are people who do need some extra help and the hospital really isn't equipped to have that sort of care, you know, because hospitals are supposed to, you know, help get you better or hopefully you get better and then you can even go home. You know, the government really needs to start thinking seriously about the health care here in Canada because, or here, not just in Canada, but, you know, here in the province of Ontario, you know, because the baby boomers is a huge population. And if we don't get on track now, You know, in, in the next 10 to 15 years, you know, the baby boomer population is bigger than the elderly population today. And if we don't do something now, and with the right choices, And we think the healthcare system is bad now. And even in the next five to 10 years, the healthcare system would just be non-existent because the government of Ontario can't pull their thumbs out of their asses fast enough to do something. You know, he's called on the um, the NDP leader, the federal NDP leaders called on the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, to meet with the premiers to discuss their calls for more health care funding. 
and pointed out to other ways the federal government could help address the nationwide shortages of health care workers. And he's like I said, we talked about, you know, accelerating the immigration pathway for healthcare professionals who want to come to Canada and work. And then once they're here, then the federal government should do more to work with the provinces to ensure that these internationally educated healthcare workers are able to fast track their, their accreditation and allow them to work in the Canadian hospitals. And they can work in the Canadian hospitals and get that hands-on training and still do the study. I don't know how Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario, doesn't see that. No, he'd rather just give our tax dollars away to, to private clinics. He'd rather put a Band-Aid on a wound that needs stitches. It's not going to stop the bleeding. unbelievable ladies and gentlemen that it, you know it, it it takes a pandemic to open up the wound the wounds of the healthcare system and we've known for a while we've known for a while that we've had problems i mean have you, have you ever heard of hallway healthcare that's happened across Canada and it's happened right here in the province. You don't get a bed. You get your treatment uh, on a gurney in the hallway and you stay there for days on end until a room came available, until a bed came available. Now, the thing here is, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we do have uh, like private rooms. And if there is a private room available and there isn't a bed available in the ward, then you are to get that private room at no cost to you. We shouldn't have to cut back our hours in our rural areas, the hospitals in the rural areas. We should not have to cut back on hours because emergencies don't know time. When an emergency happens, it's not in your control. I mean, the, the, the doctors and the nurses, you know, I mean, they, 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 they have been calling on the government at both levels. And, and, and it seems like ever. It seems like it's, like it's forever. 
oh, no, 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 everything's okay. You know, the health ministers would say, no, no, everything's okay. We, we you know, we've got a plan. You know, it's going to be all right. And it's not. So for the people out there around the world, I'm telling you firsthand, as a Canadian, our healthcare system is in trouble. Serious, serious trouble. They need to fix it. So I want to thank you for joining me this evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Thursday evening. It's a rare um, night during the week that I do come out here. Like I said, uh, well, uh, like just over the weekend there, that um, if I can get out here midweek or or whatever the case may be, depending on my workload, when I get home, you know, if my days are shorter, you know, then I'm, then, you know, my head isn't clouded, my head is clear, and I can come out and do a show. You know, because generally it's just mostly weekends that I get out here, Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, you know. Yeah, I was gone away for the first two weeks of August. You know, and um, being back to work, you know, um, getting back on the air and stuff like that. Like I said, if I can come out on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, I will. You know, but generally it's the weekend, Saturday morning, Sunday mornings and stuff like that. And I get out here and, and be able to talk to you. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming out here and um, listening in. I appreciate that. Tomorrow is Friday, finally. The weekend will be here. And it is the last weekend of August. Next weekend is the Labor Day weekend. So that is, yeah, it'll be like, yeah, Monday, like a week from this Monday will be a holiday here in North America, on other parts of the world. But yeah, here in North America, it is a statutory holiday. So we'll be looking forward to that to have a long weekend off. And like I say, um, yeah, this uh, coming week coming up is basically the last week, last week of holidays for people and students. You know, be going back to school. It's just great for everybody to be back in class and, and learning and doing all your extra 
activities, playing sports and, and all that kind of things that students like to do. So that's great. So, um, see what happens. Um, there is something, um, Yeah, um, when I was talking about uh, people who are in, in the hospital who may be transferred to a nursing home, um, this controversy Bill 7, um, I'll have to take a look at that and see what more about it, what it means and stuff like that. We can talk about that, uh, you know, this coming weekend. And, of course, there's no end to anything, you know what I mean, to to uh, what's happening, you know, not just here in Canada, in the United States, but, you know, all over the world and stuff like that. There's no shortage of anything to talk about. So I'll always find something, believe me. So have yourself a great evening if it's not already, you know, or, or, Good morning to you. It's already morning for you already, wherever you are listening around the world. Uh, but enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy your Friday. And uh, I will be back out here uh, Saturday morning, um, approximately um, 10 a.m. So hopefully you can join me then. Um, but until then, take care. And... Um, Enjoy the rest of your your week, and hopefully we meet again on the weekend. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Thank you, and good night.